Good morning, everyone. Hey, thank you so much for joining us at New Hope today. If you have your Bible or your Acts journal, we're going to be in chapter 10 today. If this is your first time joining us, this is not our typical place where we would do the teaching and preaching on a Sunday morning. But today in Acts chapter 10, we're going to be challenged personally on how to view everything that's going on around us today by what was going on around the Apostle Peter as he had to navigate change in his life. Normally, tomorrow morning, this classroom would fill with students, and the hallways would be filled with students and teachers on their way to their classes to begin having class together, and kids talking to their friends and going to their lockers and planning for practice after school. But a lot has changed, and instead we're going to know that kids are meeting around their kitchen tables and in their living rooms, and teachers are signing online and sending lesson plans to parents who never thought at the beginning of the year that they'd be homeschooling. But a lot has changed. Likewise, there are many people that are in business or uh, in some sort of other discipline, uh, some sort of other job or career where they've been forced to change some things as well. I've talked to people in business and agriculture and sales. No one who thought eight to nine weeks ago that they were going to have to be working from home and getting creative and, and figuring out ways to navigate family life and work life all in the same place. A lot has changed. See, whether it's classrooms or living rooms or boardrooms, Everything around us doesn't look the way that it did 10 weeks ago. And if you're like me, you begin to wonder, how do I navigate this change? What does this look like? How am I supposed to learn from this? And we get stuck up in the why, and we don't ever get to the because. We want to know why is this happening, and sometimes we never get around to, because this is happening, God, what are you trying to do? Last week, as we walked through the book of Acts, David shifted our focus from the Apostle Paul and our introduction to him back to the ministry of Peter. And today in Acts chapter 10, we're going to learn a little bit more from Peter as he begins to see what God's doing big picture-wise in the world all around him. Such a significant change takes place in Acts chapter 10 that really even affects us to this day. But there's this other thing that happens in Acts chapter 10 where God doesn't just work on the macro level, but also in the details. He focuses on a change that needs to take place in the heart of Peter. And in our lives, the same is true. God is going to bring good from this pandemic. He is. Rest assured, He will bring good out of this situation on a large scale for the advancement of His kingdom. But in the middle of all of it, He also wants to work personally in your life and to bring about some healthy changes and to help you see change from a certain perspective in your own heart. This is what takes place in Peter's life. Everything in his life had changed. If you remember, the book of Acts tells us that the church explodes with growth. There's so many people consistently being baptized into Christ, and the church is growing. And then he gets uh, martyred. He gets killed for the faith, and as a result, a great persecution comes, and the church begins to scatter all around the world. And Peter is going from place to place, teaching and gathering and, and training up leaders and getting them ready for all that's going on around them. And now, in Acts chapter 10, he finds himself in the city of Joppa, and he's even staying in the home of a man he never would have stayed with prior to all of these changes taking place. He's staying with a man named Simon the Tanner. A tanner is someone who dealt with uh, unclean animals, dead animals. And a dead animal was viewed as unclean by a devout Jewish person. And they didn't want to be viewed as unclean because they wanted to participate in what was going on in the temple. And so for Peter to stay with him, this is not the ideal Airbnb for a devout Jewish person. And i got to wonder if Peter had these moments in the midst of all of this where he just sat back and he wondered, like many of us have wondered in the middle of all this, man, things are so different than they were. Everything has changed. Like, what in the world is going on? All this change is happening around me. What am I supposed to be learning? 
Now, as we get into Acts chapter 10, we're going to meet another character in addition to Peter named Cornelius. He's a Roman centurion, a Roman soldier. And both Peter and Cornelius are both given visions, two men, two visions, two different places. And here at the end of our passage that we're going to study today, we're going to see these stories begin to come together for one of the most important moments in the history of humanity. And before we get into that, which is going to happen next week, though, we're going to hone in on verses 9 through 20 and see the wrestling match that Peter has with accepting and learning from the change that's happened all around him. If you have a Bible, Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Now, if you remember from last week, he's in Joppa. He's doing ministry here, and they're on their way to the city. Jewish people would have eaten two meals, typically in a day, one about mid-morning and one later in the afternoon. And Peter is pretty hungry right now. And instead of waiting for the meal normally, just with everybody else, he says, I'm going to go up on the rooftop. Now, that's not as weird as it would be for us, because in the Eastern world, roofs, homes are built with flat roofs. And up on top, you could have a garden or just a sitting place, a place to entertain people. And some people even use those flat rooftop areas as guest rooms for people when they're coming to stay with them. So it's kind of the perfect spot to chill out and have a good prayer time to focus, enjoy the breeze from the coast. And while Peter's up there, he slips into this trance. He's hungry, he's praying. He slips into this trance. He's given this vision from God. This vision that's going to give him a little bit of clarity into what needs to happen in his life. But before we move on and talk about what the vision said, I don't want this to be lost on us because sometimes we miss some things. All through Luke's gospel, he makes a really distinct connection all through Luke's gospel and through the book of Acts, he makes a distinct connection between times of prayer and vision. All right? So when, when people are praying, God gives them this vision for the future. And this is a connection that's happening right here. Don't let it be lost on you that it's Peter's time in prayer where God then gives him this vision. Right? In the midst of all that's going on around us, as hard as it's been, right? If you found yourself struggling, with some of the changes that are happening around you, if you found yourself not wanting to accept it, if you found yourself not willing to learn from it, instead of looking at all the changes, I think one of the first questions you should ask yourself is, what's my prayer life been like? Because praying is just talking to God. But Peter here takes this opportunity. He's got this extra time on his hands. It's fascinating to me. He's got extra time on his hands, and instead of wasting that time, he decides to use it talking to God. Well, because of all the changes that have taken place, empty classrooms, more time in our homes, more time to think about and and spend some time away from the busyness of our schedules, we find ourselves with some more time on our hands. But are we using that time to pray and talk to God and learn? Or are we wasting that time? See, for Peter, he knew and he understood that the more time I spend praying, the more clarity I'll have on what's next. Let's see what this vision says. Verse 11. He saw heaven opened, and something like a large sheep being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Let's break this down just for a moment. It's not as easy to understand. So this sheep coming down four corners of the earth, it's covering everything. It's, it's complete and total. And it's got these three groups of animals. You've got these land animals. You've got reptiles, and then you've got birds. So you've got the land, the sea, the birds, everything covered. One commentator said it this way, this sheet kind of looked like Noah's Ark had thrown up. <laughs> and, and I think that's accurate because these animals are the same way they're described in Genesis chapter 6. Let's make the, the connection here. 
when God puts all of the animals on the ark, the land animals, the sea animals, the birds, all of them come to the ark. It's to escape a judgment that's coming on the world. And from that judgment, God would form his people, the Israelites, a people that were to be set aside as holy and devout to him in the midst of a pluralistic world that was running in every different direction. Little does Peter know that this sheet represents a reversal of that judgment, as now God's chosen people will be anyone who puts their faith in Jesus. And that message of salvation, because of what's about to take place in Acts chapter 10, will be available to every person, not just the Jewish people. But Peter doesn't know that part of the story yet. All he knows is he's being challenged to eat something that for his entire life he had not eaten. See, Peter was a devout Jewish person. And according to Deuteronomy chapter 14 and Leviticus chapter 11, they're given a strict dietary law that had two purposes. See, the strict dietary law for the Jews was about health. It was a healthier way for the body to eat. And it was about holiness. It was a way for them to distinguish themselves as God's people. And Peter had always obeyed a kosher diet. He had always listened to what God had told him to do when it came to these dietary laws. He had never eaten of the animals that were represented on this sheet. You see, his way of eating was a little bit more strict. We hear it and it's different. Things like this. that You could only eat land animals that had divided hoofs and chewed the cut. Birds had to be vegetarians and you could only eat sea animals if they had both fins, uh, if they had both their fins and scales. Insects had to have six legs but also a, a back hinged leg for jumping. Very weird and unique ways of describing what you could eat and couldn't eat. But it had a double purpose, both health and holiness. It was a way to set you aside as distinguished in a pluralistic culture as God's people. Now God would add other things to that, like Sabbath and circumcision. But for Peter, what he hears is, I want you to eat something that you've not eaten before. But what he's hearing is, I want you to change who you are. Because these ways of living, practicing all of these laws, really made him understand who he was in God's sight. And now he's hearing a voice from heaven saying, I want you to kind of undo that. And so you can see why he wrestles with this, because it wasn't just about what he was doing, it was about who he was. And so his answer is kind of short and to the point. Look at what he says in verse 14. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. Now for Peter, he's assuming this is a test of faithfulness. God is saying one thing, but really he's saying this other thing. God is, God is testing to see if I know what the Bible says. He's testing me to know if I'm being truthful here, if I'm being devout and righteous. And he wants to respond immediately with it. And he could be thinking, man, God knows I'm staying with Simon the Tanner now, and so he's kind of mocking me. Well, you're going to hang out with dead animals and be around all these unclean animals. You might as well enjoy eating some, Peter. But I think really he thinks it's a test of faithfulness. And in this test of faithfulness, he wants to prove righteous. And so he says, I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. Literally what he's saying, I've never eaten common and evil foods. I've not done that before. I've devoted my life to being pure. He never could have imagined, though, that this was not so much a test as much as it was a truth. That I want to work something in you so that you understand what I'm about to do in the rest of the world. I want to prepare you for the change that's about to take place in the big picture of life. And I need to work on your heart first. He couldn't see that yet. So the voice responds. Look at verse 15. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back up to heaven. So the voice, using Peter's own language, argues back with him. And this voice tells him, Peter, don't call unclean what God has said is clean. 
what he's literally saying there is, Peter, stop doing what you're doing. You're forming these defendants. You're putting your feet in the, stand, in the sand. You're gritting your teeth. You're refusing to see what God might be wanting to do in the midst of everything around you. And so your refusal to see, you can't do that, Peter. And so the voice comes back and it continues to challenge him. Like, this isn't the first time you've heard this, Peter. I mean, this, the first time this seed was planted many years ago in the ministry of Jesus. See, in Mark chapter 7, Jesus was confronted by the Pharisees. And they were challenging him, saying, hey, you're letting your disciples eat with unclean hands. That's breaking the dietary laws. And now, there's a lot to that story, but in Mark chapter 7, verses 18 and 19, Jesus responds to them and says, hey, it's not something from without that makes someone unclean. I mean, you eat something from the outside of your body, you put it in your body, it goes to your stomach, and then it leaves your body. And, and he's saying, it's not that. What makes somebody unclean? And then in verse 19, Mark tells us that by saying these things, Jesus actually said that uh, animals, all animals were clean, that there's no unclean food. So Peter would have understood that a little bit, but he couldn't have wrapped his mind around it then. And now this vision and this voice are affirming it. Here's the other thing that's fascinating about this. It took Peter three times to, to really grab onto and understand this. That's pretty significant, because if you know much about Peter's life throughout the Bible, you know that things didn't always click for him right away. It oftentimes took multiple times for him to get something. In fact, do you remember any other situations in Peter's life where it took three times for him to get it? Well, one would be on the night that Jesus was betrayed, Jesus told him, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And what's fascinating about that is that Peter didn't even catch himself doing it the first and second time, but that third time he denies Jesus and he hears that rooster crow, it sinks in. In John's Gospel, chapter 20 and 21, he talks about the restoration of, the, of Peter to ministry. And Jesus calls him to the shore, he makes him breakfast, they're sitting there together, and he says to him, Peter, do you love me? And Peter doesn't quite get it, and he answers the question. He says it a second time, he doesn't get it. It's that third time where, Peter says, where Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? That it really sinks in and he gets it. And now here, it didn't work the first time where he said, hey, you can eat. And it didn't work the second time. It happened three times before Peter gets it. And even then, he continues to wrestle with it a little bit. This is not an indictment on Peter's intelligence. The opposite, actually. This has actually given us some insight into how he personally wrestled with change when it came about. For him to have such drastic changes, were, it was hard for him. And what we learn is, even in the Bible, change doesn't come easy. And so as we're navigating this COVID-19, this, this pandemic that has wreaked havoc on our world all around us, God is not asking us. Not asking us not to struggle with it. I mean, we see that right here in Peter's. He, God welcomes the wrestling and the doubt, but here's what stands out with Peter. Peter made a decision. I'm going to lean in and see what God's doing here. And the same thing's true for us. We have to make that decision. God is welcoming all of this, but we have to lean into it. Let's check out how the stories begin to collide here. Verse 17. See, while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, so he continues to kind of ponder, what does this all mean? The men sent by Cornelius, the Roman centurion we mentioned earlier, has also had a vision and sent some of his men to get Peter so he could see what in the world is going on here. He found out about Simon's house and he stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was also known as Peter because he didn't want to get the wrong Simon, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. As Peter continues to wrestle with this personally, he's going to be introduced to Cornelius as Cornelius' men come and ask for Peter to come to them. And these two visions are going to be combined into one. 
these two visions that God is going to use to come together to form the, one of the most important stories in all of human history. And we're going to jump into the details of that next week, but for today, as we look at this passage of Scripture, we study the Bible together, there are some lessons that we can learn that will apply to the changes we're experiencing in the world around us today. Uh, three lessons that I pull from Peter's story that have helped me navigate the last eight or nine weeks in our lives around us. The first is this. Learning from change is not easy. You see, Peter was not an emotionless soldier. One of the things I've struggled with in my walk with Christ in, in the church is our, some, some Christians need to speak Christianese to everything. What I mean by that is this. like We're not called anywhere in Scripture to fake it to pretend like things don't hurt and that we don't have struggles. We're not called anywhere to do that. As a matter of fact, God welcomes us coming to him with our frustrations and our difficulties and our doubts. The difference is Peter leans into this and he wants to learn from God. While it's not easy, he's not going to fake it. He's not going to pretend like something isn't hurting him. He wants to know why is this change happening. And God welcomes that from us. Like I've talked to a lot of parents who did not plan on being homeschool teachers this year. A lot of teachers who did not plan on teaching the way online, the way that they've had to teach. And a lot of frustrations come with that. I mean, in our home, we had to rush out and find a computer that we're selling fast just to make sure our kids had enough so that they could finish their school year this year. I get it. There's some frustrations. It's hard. Some people just needed that extra time in their day to get the grocery shopping done, to get other things done. And now all that's been disrupted and things have changed. But there's a question being asked. Are we going to view this as a frustration and a difficulty, or are we going to lean in and say this is an opportunity, and God's wanting to teach us something about life at home with our kids and learning about how they learn and seeing an inside look into their education? 20 years from now, our kids are going to ask, and they're going to describe what 2020 looked like in their education, and how are they going to describe the way that we adapted, even though it wasn't easy to change? Likewise, I've talked to a lot of people in the business world. And the change hasn't been easy for them either. They're used to having their routine and their rhythm, going to the office, being able to focus, have conference calls, and now they're trying to get a video call or a conference call in a room in the house, making sure the kids aren't too loud, and then when the kids disrupt them, and then they've got chores to do that they didn't normally have to do because they were away at the office, and now they're home, and everything is just frustrating and difficult and hard. And I get it, I understand, but a question that's being asked of us is are we gonna view this as a frustration and a difficulty on our schedule or an opportunity? to reprioritize and change the way that we viewed our family time. That maybe God's using this to slow us down a little bit, to help us see what we were missing because we were going too fast and too hard. Let me illustrate for you one more way that why this isn't always easy, and yet God can be doing something beautiful. I'll introduce you to my friends Zach and Emma. I'm going to tell you their story. I've got two weddings, actually, that I'm doing in May, and both couples have been extraordinary. Think about it, though. If it, your wedding was taking place in the middle of all this, that'd be pretty stressful. That'd be hard. Most people dream about their wedding day their entire life, and Zach and Emma are no different. They've been excited about this. You're excited about all the different friends and the family coming in from all over the country and possibly all over the world to celebrate this special gift that God is giving you in marriage. And to have something like this wreak havoc on that and not be able to have the wedding that you'd always dreamed about having is hard. And look, they're not faking it. There's been tears that were shed. There's been frustration expressed. And yet I've been so impressed in the midst of it. Because Zach and Emma have a beautiful story about how God has worked so powerfully in their life just to get them to this point. It's just been incredible. And they know that no matter what happens, and I'm paraphrasing what they've said to me, but no matter what this virus does, the one thing it can't do is remove God from his throne. No matter what happens, at the end of the day, the bride still gets the groom. They still get to celebrate. 
the gift that God has for them. Look, the change isn't easy, but God has an opportunity for us in the midst of this change to learn and grow. The second lesson is this. Learning from change, it's not always fast. It's not always going to happen quickly. We want things to happen quickly in our lives. And you'll see in Acts chapter 10 that Peter begins to wrestle with this. He continues to struggle with it. Then in, uh, later on next week in the passage we're going to study, it, it clicks for him. He gets it. This is the vision. This is what God wanted. And the gospel is going to go to all the Gentiles. But then again, he slips back into his old ways. In fact, in Galatians chapter 2, the apostle Paul tells us that he had to call Peter out on, on the fact that he refused to eat with Gentiles again. So you see, this change that takes place, where later on Peter would write that we are a priesthood, a royal priesthood, that, that God is patient, that none should perish. He would write those words in First and Second Peter, but that change that takes place that you read about took years to sink in. And some of the changes God is introducing us to here, like valuing our family time, having meals around the table, being involved in our kids' education, these are things that are going to be hard to stick, but over time, it may not happen fast, but over time, God's going to begin to instill them in us. Last lesson is this. Learning from, from change is strengthened. It's strengthened by our connection to Jesus. See, for Peter, the more time he spent with the Lord in prayer, the more time he spent with the, uh, understanding the teachings of Jesus and remembering the memories he had with Jesus, the more time he spent around God's people, the more he was given the perspective that God had for the changes that were taking place. It's kind of hard to wrap your mind around. It doesn't mean that Peter even enjoyed all the changes at first, but he loved Jesus so much that he accepted those changes out of a love he had for Jesus. See, when I married my, my, my wife, Sarah, when we were dating and engaged, getting ready to get married, um, I was excited about so many different things. And one of those things was getting to marry into a larger family. Lots of cousins and aunts and uncles, and they would do these family reunions all the time. And I was so excited to get to connect with everybody and, and, and have meals together and share stories and listen to their family history. I was just really pumped about all of it, except this one thing that Sarah told me about. And this one thing is something I'd never enjoyed during my childhood. I never found a lot of joy in doing this. And, and yet her family participated in this at every one of these reunions, she told me. And so it was something she was excited about. So while I was excited for the family reunion to change my view of this other thing, which was board games. I'm, I'm talking all kinds of different board games. Uh, strategy games, fun games. You'd be on teams. You'd play individually. I just didn't like that stuff growing up. And so I was a little bit apprehensive going into the first family reunion. Like, I don't know that I'm going to enjoy this. But you know what happened 14 years later? If you were to come to our home, we may or may not even have a closet where we've collected some of our own games that we play with our kids and when people come over for dinner. You see, I didn't like the games, but now I've grown to really appreciate the games. And what was it? You see, had it not been for the love I had for my wife, I saw how much she enjoyed that and the, the way it connected her family. And I just loved her. So I was willing to jump in and see, what is this going to be? See, the same thing happens here with Peter. You see, he loved Jesus so much that the change that was being introduced to him, he was willing to see it because of the love he had for Jesus. And so a lot has changed around us. Empty classrooms, a lot more time in our living rooms, not as much time in our offices, the economy we're not sure about, the situation we're not sure about, when are things going to open up, when are we going to get back to normal, our school is going to start up. All these things have changed and there's a lot of uncertainty, but a question is being asked of us. Will we grit our teeth, put our feet in the sand and say, this is a frustration and I refuse to see anything good? Or will we lean in through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us and see, God, what is it you're teaching us? What is it that you're going to do in the midst of all of this? 
The answer to that question, that's up to you. Let's pray this thing. Father, today as we come before you, and we are so grateful for how you've worked in the midst of a difficult situation. God, I know that the change that Peter was walking into was a very good and positive one, and the change that we're experiencing is not, not that. I mean, this virus has wreaked havoc on our lives and in our world. And yet, in the midst of it, God, I know you're working. I know when this is done, you will bring about a macro level, a large change for the advancement of your kingdom. But God, I am so grateful this morning as I study Acts chapter 10 that you care about the details. That you are intimately involved in our lives. That you want to not only change the world, but you want to change our hearts. So God, through the work of your Holy Spirit and the love of your people, would you put in us a desire to lean in? For us to understand at the end of the day, the bride will always get the groom. And then along the way, you want to work and develop in us. So God, would you just give us, give us the humility to lean in and to see what you might be doing in our lives. We love you, Father. And we thank you for our time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.